Hey listeners, this is Ben, the Amateur Exegete, and you're listening to episode 30 of Bible Study for Amateurs. Today's episode is, Hey Jude, Final Thoughts. Well, we did it. We used some of the tools I mentioned in episodes 11 through 20, those in my amateur toolbox, and we worked through the letter of Jude. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but I think it was an illuminating exercise, both in the message of the letter itself, but also in the value of volumes like the HarperCollins Study Bible, the Fortress Commentary on the Bible, and others. While it is undoubtedly true that having more in-depth commentaries would have shed more light on the text of Jude, we got along pretty well without them. Though I must admit, I was at times tempted to cheat and thumb through Richard Baucom's lengthier commentary on Jude in the Word Biblical Commentary series, or use the more academic Anchor Bible Dictionary, among others. As we wrap up this series on the Epistle of Jude, there's one thing that I thought would be interesting to query. How did Jude end up in the canonical New Testament anyway? Isn't it a bit odd that a book that so frequently borrows from non-canonical literature to make its points made its way into a canonical collection? The formation of the canon is itself a complicated topic filled with twists and turns. It's also deeply misunderstood. A lot of what became canon was simply what was in use. In other words, canonical lists are often descriptive rather than prescriptive. But this complicates the situation for the letter of Jude since, as Femi Perkins writes in the Fortress Commentary on the Bible, Jude is rarely mentioned in early Christian authors. One of its earliest appearances is in the works of Clement of Alexandria and Tertullian in the early 3rd century CE. In his essay on the canon for the Jewish Annotated New Testament, Michael Greenwald notes that both of these men make use of Jude's epistle. But then, Tertullian also treats as scripture works like the Shepherd of Hermas and the Epistle of Barnabas. And in addition to those two texts, Clement uses the Apocalypse of Peter, First Clement, and the Didache. Greenwald goes on to mention the Muratorian Fragment, a document dated to either the 2nd or 4th century CE that included four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, the 13 Pauline Epistles, the Catholic Epistles of 1st and 2nd John and Jude, and the Book of Revelation. But it also included the Wisdom of Solomon and the Apocalypse of Peter. Though Greenwald is indecisive about the dating of the fragment, he does note that its list of documents is roughly congruent to usage at the end of the second century. However, he is careful to note that it is not a book list. Another important figure in this story is Origen, who lived sometime toward the end of the second century and into the third. Per Greenwald, Origen's views on the books of the New Testament 
are preserved in the church historian Eusebius. While Origen accepted many of the books viewed as canonical in later Christian history, the Four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, the Book of Revelation, and a few others, he casts doubt upon the letter of Second Peter and, in the words of Greenwald, is unclear, apparently deliberately so, concerning the status of James and Jude. Eusebius himself places the letter of Jude into the category of disputed books, alongside the epistles of James, 2nd and 3rd John, and 2nd Peter. Patrick Tiller, in the New Oxford Annotated Bible, observes that not only was the epistle of Jude's status contested in the early church, but it was excluded from Syriac translations until the 4th century CE, when it became widely accepted. So, it wasn't only Greek-speaking communities that had trouble with the letter. Those who used Syriac, a dialect of Aramaic, found it problematic as well. Letitia Guardiola Sayens, in the Women's Bible Commentary, notes that Jude did not become part of a truly canonical list of books until the one produced by Athanasius in 367 CE, and, among Eastern churches, it would be two centuries after that that Jude would be accepted. In more recent times, the reformer Martin Luther, per Christopher Rowland in the Oxford Bible Commentary, regarded with contempt the Epistle of Jude, along with the letter of James and the Apocalypse of John. Poor Jude. So how did it end up in the canon? One thing that it had going for it was its implied connection with a brother of Jesus himself. As I noted in episode 21, this connection seems dubious, but that doesn't seem to have been the view among some early Christians. Additionally, despite its use of so-called non-canonical literature, Jude's outlook seems to be in line with early Jewish views on a range of topics, and therefore in line with the early Christ-following movement, which was itself thoroughly Jewish. Rowland writes, Even if one doubts a link with Jude, the brother of Jesus, there can be little doubt that the theological ideas contained in the letter, whatever date they were written down, reflects the ideas of Second Temple Judaism. In other words, the epistle of Jude isn't off the rails when it comes to presenting a worldview congruent with the early Christ-following movement, a movement that was historically situated in Second Temple Judaism. I, for one, am glad that Jude made it into the canon. Though I've read the Epistle of Jude scores of times in my life, I've never gone this in-depth on it, and given that all I used for this short series on Bible study for amateurs were resources designed to give only the very basic of details, what I've discovered has been fascinating. I look forward to digging into it more at some point in the future, and I hope that I whet your appetite for this epistle as well. That's all the time we've got this week. See you next time, and remember, in the words of Richard Elliot Friedman, one does not need to deny what is troubling about the Bible in order to pay respect to what is heartening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>